Romans chapter 16, verses 1 through 27. Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Achilla, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apellus, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet these, those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus and Phlegon and Hermes and Patrobus and Hermas and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus. I think that's close. Julia, Nurses, and, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause division and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me, and the whole church greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cordus greet you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of, myster- of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, before we unpack this last chapter, I want us to notice Paul's love for the church. Have you noticed how Paul had a love for the people? And he didn't just love them. He knew who they were. He knew their names. He knew what was going on in their lives. I'm going to show you another example of that in just a second. But one thing I want you to notice is this is before Facebook. This is before emails and cell phones and how we can keep track of each other. Paul lived in a day and age where you had to write a letter and hope the letter got there somehow. And then he had to wait for a letter to come back to how here how things were going. Yet this same Paul who traveled around and had a heart for the churches knew what was going on in each of these people's lives. That's an amazing thing. And to be honest with you, I understand this a little bit because this is the kind of life that I have. My wife and I actually already packed. We're leaving at 5.15 tomorrow morning to fly to an area of the country that I have never preached in before. 
Yet while we're there, we know that there's a couple that we haven't seen in 20 years that I used to be their pastor when I was in Chicago, but we knew that they were in Arizona and we've contacted them. And even though we've not seen each other or talked to each other in 20 years, we're having dinner tomorrow night with Alan and Kim uh, up there and can't wait to catch up with them and find out what's going on with their three kids and these types of things. And, and then when after I go from there, I'm, like I told you, I'm going to go to Detroit. And when I go to Detroit, I'll be meeting with brothers and sisters there that Actually, when I show up at that church, they all yell, Grandpa, because I taught them that the church is a family and that my role is kind of like a grandfather. The, the pastors and the elders are the parents of the church and the kids are the congregation. And I'm kind of like a grandfather. I'm not going to tell them how to run their church, but I'm hopefully give them a little bit of wisdom from the outside. And I built relationships with all them. And many of those guys, uh, cell, cell numbers on the elder team are on my phone and we stay in regular contact. And actually, once I leave Detroit and come back here, one of the elders and his wife are actually going to be flying down to Florida to stay down in Sebastian for a few weeks with some other people that we both know. And he and I are going to play golf while we're down here and he's down here. And I could list to you all the people I know all around the country and built relationships with. And here's what I want to tell you. We're living in a time in which the temptation to isolate is getting stronger and stronger. And I want to say to you, avoid that. You're not supposed to know everybody. You're not to know everybody. You may not be called to be a traveling preacher, an apostle, kind of like I am. I'm small a apostle, not capital A, but I'm called to travel and to go and to encourage the church. Let me say this to you, but get to know people. Go make friends in your churches. A lot of times people say, well, our church is so big, I don't know everybody. You're not supposed to know everybody. But do you know anybody? Have you made the effort to get to know folks? And so it's going to get stronger and stronger that Satan wants to divide us. Get to know people. Get to know people. Some of the greatest memories that I have and my family has all throughout our history of being in churches are the relationships that were developed in each of those places. And even though we've all maybe ended up in different churches over the years, we're all still in touch because of the bonds that were made as we spent life together. And Paul had a heart. Go to 2 Timothy real quick. Let me kind of show you how much Paul knew what was going on in everyone's life. At the end of his life, 2 Timothy chapter 4. I'm going to start in verse 9, and then we're going to jump over to verse 19 in just a little bit. He says, Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me, and get Mark, and bring him with you, for he's very useful to me in ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus, and when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, and also the books, and above all the parchments. Jump down to verse 19. Greet Prisca and Achilla. That's a couple we're about to see real quick. Greet Prisca and Achilla in the household of Anesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as so do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Again, have you noticed how Paul knows where everybody is and what they're doing? And again, this is before Facebook. You know why? Because he truly loved the people and got involved in their lives. And I want to encourage you to do the same. Whoever God puts in your path, don't try to become friends with people that don't want your friendship, but don't just say, well, I'm going to wait until somebody invites me to a party or something like that. Go make friends. Get to know people and encourage them in the Lord with the gifts that God's given you. Now, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We also need each other at this time. 
even more than we realize. 1 Corinthians 12, look at verses 18 through 26. But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, the members in the body, or the parts of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Now the eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that that there may be no division in the body, but there, that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. You all know what Hebrews chapter 10 talks about in verses 24 and 25, where it says, Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, which is the habit of some, but encourage each other toward love and good deeds, and what? And do it all the more as you see the day approaching. I have said this before, I'm going to say it again. I thank God for Facebook Live and the way that we're able to stream services now. It has expanded Just a Preacher's ministry exponentially. Literally, these Bible studies that I do now with what Chris does on the website, and, and he gives us a report of how many hundreds of people listen each week to these studies on either Tuesday night to the audio or Wednesday night to the audio. The video that we do on Tuesday nights, we actually videotape it live and do a live stream and then put it out there on the web for people to, to tune in. And I don't know how many people tune in each week live because it's really hard to keep track of that, but it's a lot. But by the end of each week, we have sometimes seen 800 people have watched Tuesday night's Bible study. I thank God for that. But this, this gift of God has also been a curse. Because a lot of people now, because most churches are live streaming their services. By the way, if you want, you go to our, uh, our website and our social media stuff for Just a Preacher. You can find out how to follow the live stream of my teaching in, in uh, Arizona this weekend. Everything's going to be live streamed. And you can even know how to tie into it and be a part of it. But as wonderful as that is, unfortunately, a lot of people nowadays have stopped going to church on Sunday. Because they can sit home and watch it. Or families will say, Pastor, we, we tuned into the service. They were really driving on the way to the beach, watching it on their phone. Folks, we are going to be tried to be pulled apart more and more in these days. You've got to spend time with people. Encourage each other. All right. Now, we cannot break down here in Romans 16 every person that Paul listed for a couple of reasons. One, we wouldn't finish the Roman study. Well, we've got to finish it tonight. And on top of that, there's a lot of people here we don't really know a whole lot about. Paul knew about them, and there's some that we can study from the Scriptures. Others, we really don't know who he's talking about, or we don't know much about them. So we're not going to take the time to do that. But what I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to just pull out a few that he referenced to kind of encourage us with some things. So the first one we're going to look at is right there in verse 1, this lady Phoebe. It says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centria. Now, the way Paul wrote the book of Romans from Corinth to the church in Rome. Centria is a port city of Corinth. And she was a believer there. But that word translated servant actually could and should probably be translated deaconess. Now, let me go somewhere with you in this. We're going we're gonna to chase something real quick. Have you noticed that she must be a pretty important lady for Paul to send this letter to Rome, to a church he's never been to, and he's sending the letter with her. 
That's a pretty important role. And he says, I commend to you this leader in our church, this deaconess, this servant, Phoebe. She, and give her whatever she needs. Take good care of her when she comes. Whether she has an official title or not, it's obviously that she had a large role of serving and ministering in the church in Corinth and Centuria. Folks, women are very important in the deacon ministry. Again, each church gets to decide whether or not they ordain women and all this stuff. I'm not going to go into that tonight. That's not the purpose of our study. But I will show you from Scripture that even though the Bible is very, very clear that women are not to have authoritative roles over men. That's God's design. There's a complementary design of God for men and women in roles in the church. God has a high view of women's role and importance in the church, and especially when it comes to taking care of some of the needs of the widows in the church. And if we just expect deacons to be only men, there's a lot of needs of the widows that really shouldn't be taken care of by men. I mean, and the scripture is very clear about that. And if you're going to see, we look at the scriptures, it talks a lot about the care for the widows and how the church was to care for the widows. But if, if the widows are only being taken care of by the women, there's some things they really need that men shouldn't do. I remember when we, I was in New Orleans and one of the eight pastors on staff at a big church and we had a bunch of male deacons. But there were many widows in that church. And there was this one widow who didn't have any family. And she also didn't like baths. And she needed them. And she lived in that house. We had to put a lockbox on her thermo thermostat because she was always saying, it's freezing. And we lived in New Orleans. And she, she'd have it in the middle of the summer at like 100. We'd walk in and you'd think that she'd be cooking. And the house was so hot. And so we had to put a lockbox on her thermometer or thermostat so she wouldn't cook herself. Yet there had to be women that go and bathe her. That shouldn't be done by the men. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. There's something very interesting in this passage about deacons that's not there when it talks about the elders. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, we'll start in verse 8. It says, deacons, likewise, the verse, first seven verses are talking about the qualifications for the elders and overseers. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Let them let them serve as deacons. If they prove themselves blameless, then their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children in their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Let me ask you a question. If you've ever studied these passages, do they give qualifications for the elders' wives? No. Now they talk about the elders need to be a one-woman man. By the way, for those who've been taught, well, if he's been divorced, he's no longer qualified. That's not what the passage says. And I'll explain that more as we get to chapter 5 of 1 Timothy and we look at what Paul says about the widows in the same way. But let me just say this to you, that the qualifications for the elders don't even deal with their wives. Yet when it comes to the deacons, he gives very strict qualifications for the deacons' wives. Why? Because they're going to be actively involved and women should be actively involved in the ministering to the widows in the church and some of the needs that need to be met. And they're going to see things and know about things that they shouldn't be gossiping about. How people keep their houses. Things they do or don't do. 
And so Paul said, there's going to be women who are going to be involved in this ministry and there's qualifications for them as well. Again, each church to get to decide if they want to ordain them and give them a special spot. But let me just say this to you. If you're more interested in the fact whether you're ordained or not, or whether or not you get a special parking space or a pin, you are already got the wrong heart anyway and the wrong attitude. If you're wanting to serve the Lord, you don't care if they ordain you or not. You just want to serve the Lord. Do that. But go to 1 Timothy 5. Look at verses 3 through 16. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show, the God, show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. Now she who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone doesn't provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled on this list of widows if she's not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband. That's interesting. We'll come back to that. And having, been, having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refused to enroll younger widows, for when their, their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. So it's very interesting. He says, as you guys put together your list of the widows that the church is going to have to take care of, because the church should be taking care of the, those of us in the family. But listen, he said, first of all, if there's family members of this lady, she shouldn't be on the widow list. The family should be taken care of, not the church. But when then he goes and says, but if she doesn't have any family and she's over 60, she needs to be a woman of one husband. Does that mean that if she's had two husbands, she can't be put on the list? Well, obviously, in the context, that can't be what he's talking about. Because later on, he says, look, if she's a younger widow, let her get married. If she's not 60 yet, let her get married and continue to serve the Lord that way. And maybe down the road, she'll need to be put on the list. So he's not saying getting married again to somebody else is a bad thing. It's actually in the Greek, the same thing it is over back in 1 Timothy 3. In 1 Timothy 3, it, seems, it says a, a one-woman man. Here it says a one-man woman. In other words, what the passage is really saying is, have you this individual, whether an elder qualification or a deacon qualification or a lady to be put on the widow list, have they proven themselves to be faithful to the person they were married to when they were married to that person? Were they unfaithful, not a one-woman man? Or one man, woman. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's the qualification. That's why in each situation, we shouldn't just say, oh, they've been divorced, they're disqualified. No, look at the situation. What was the situation there? You could have someone that's been divorced, but they've proven that they are qualified and not, they're above reproach because even though their spouse left them, they were faithful to that spouse. But we unfortunately try to turn the, the New Testament, when we're not under law but under grace, into a set of law and rules again, don't we? But there were widows that needed ministry and the church was to take care of them. And much of the ministry that needed to be taken care of with these widows should have been done by women 
And Phoebe was a servant, deaconess, if you will, in the church in Centria. And whether she was ordained and had a special parking space, who cares? But let me tell you this. She was in a very important leader in the church, so much so that when Paul sent the letter to Rome, he sent it with Phoebe. All right? So let's not go beyond the scriptures and say women can be pastors. That's not what the Bible teaches. But let's also not realize that there is great value that God has in men and women in their roles. And by the way, I'm going to be doing a marriage conference here at this church coming up in February. And that's one of the main things we're going to be looking at is God's design for male and female and the importance of them both, especially in this day and age, which people say you can pick whatever you want to be. And I'm going to show how that's not God's design. And our marriages be better if we understand God's role for men and God's role for women. We'll deal with that. That's another message for another time. Real quickly, jump to verse 23, though. Verse 23, I, I, I add verse 23 to what's going on here for one reason. It says, Gaius, who is, the ho who is host to me and the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cordus greet you. Gaius and Erastus also were from Corinth. We know this because Erastus here is the city treasurer in Corinth, where he was writing this letter. But go, go to back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and look at verses 14 and 15. Some of you might just be one page to the right. In 1 Corinthians 1, verses 14 and 15, Paul says this. He says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus, and there he is, Gaius, so that none of you may say that you were baptized in my name. Another, I love this. Paul's in this time trying to explain to quit following me, quit being followers of Paul. I didn't baptize anybody. Okay, I did baptize this guy in this one family. But besides that, I didn't baptize anybody. And when he says that, he said, I baptized Gaius. Gaius says hi. Oh, and Erastus also, who's the city treasurer here, they say hi. So Phoebe's from that area. Gaius and Erastus were from that area. And for some reason, they seemed to have contact with the church in Rome. And they were known, except Phoebe. Phoebe wasn't known, but he was introducing her to them. But now go to verse 2. Something very interesting here. We already saw this other couple mentioned. We're going to see them again. In, in Romans chapter 16, verses, uh, sorry, verse 3, it says, Greet Prisca and Achilla, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for me, for my life, and to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. So Prisca and Achilla, sometimes you'll see the name Priscilla and Aquila. Remember you heard those names before? Priscilla and Aquila. By the way, have you ever thought about this? Most of the time, all except once, all except once, Priscilla is always named first. It's always Priscilla and Aquila except one time. That's a very interesting thing because they're mentioned four or five times in the Bible. And back in that day, the women were never mentioned first. It was always the man, then the wife. But Priscilla and Aquila are always mentioned in that way except for one time. And there's a couple of reasons possibly for that. One is she might have had a higher social standing. There was a, there was a lot of hierarchy back then in people's social standings. And maybe she had a higher social standing. Or it might have been that she just was more well known to the church. And that's why <laughs> I always jokingly tell everybody that Becky's known as, I'm known as, as the husband of Becky Johnson. And she always laughs. Just, yeah, they know you, they don't know me, you know, kind of a deal. But 
first, there could have been that just everybody knew Priscilla and didn't really know Aquila as much. I don't know. But go to Acts chapter 18. Let me show you where Paul met them. Because something is said here that's very interesting in Acts 18, verses 1 through 3. In Acts 18, starting in verse 1, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Remember, that's where he wrote the book of Romans from. And he found a Jew named Aquila there, a native of Pontus, recently come from where? From Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. So Paul meets Priscilla and Aquila, or at this time, Aquila is mentioned first. And they were from Rome, and they were Jews, but they had been chased out of Rome, and they ended up in Corinth, and that's where Paul met them, and they became fast friends, and God used them in ministry with Paul tremendously to the point that we don't know how, but somehow Priscilla and Aquila risked their lives for Paul's sake. And not only that, they probably were wealthy and blessed not only Paul, but blessed the Gentile churches to help them out. And it's interesting, he also says, greet the church that, that, that in their house. There might have been a church still meeting in Priscilla and Aquila's house up there in Rome, even though they weren't even there anymore because they had to get chased out of there. Very interesting about that. Now, what I want to do also is jump over to verse 13 and pull out a guy that you might not know who he is. But once you find out who he most likely is, it's kind of cool. Look at verse 13. Greet who? Rufus. Chosen in the Lord. Also his mother who has been a mother to me as well. So, who is this Rufus guy, and why does Paul say, greet Rufus? Well, if you do a little study, and I'm just going to do a little bit for you here. Most likely, Rufus, you don't know Rufus, but you know his dad. You know his dad well. His dad's name was Simon of Cyrene. Does that name sound familiar? Do you remember Simon of Cyrene, the man that they forced to carry Jesus' cross? Mark wrote his gospel from Rome. So go to Mark chapter 15 and look at verse 21. Mark brings out something in his gospel of the account of Simon of Cyrene that none of the other gospel writers that talked about it brought out. But it would make a lot more sense when you realize Mark was writing his gospel from Rome. Mark chapter 15, look at verse 21. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and who? And Rufus to carry his cross. I think Paul, I mean, sorry, Mark mentions Rufus in his gospel account because people in Rome would know who Rufus was. And most likely Rufus became a believer because of his dad's encounter with Jesus and him becoming a believer. And not only that, his mother. And so we don't know what happened to Alexander, but Rufus is mentioned. And Paul says, say hi to Rufus. He's known among the believers. Now, he then says in verse 16 something that makes some people uncomfortable, but I don't think it should. And I'll hopefully help you understand a little bit more what it means. And it's going to tie to what we said at the very beginning of our study. In verse 16, he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Now, back then, it was very common for people to greet each other with a kiss on the cheek on the forehead, sometimes they would grab their beard and kiss their beards. Not the ladies. <laughs> Maybe a couple older ones. Never mind. No. So here's the deal. 
we don't have that culturally here like they did back then. And I don't want you to turn the New Testament into a book of laws and, okay, the Bible said greet each other with a holy kiss. We have to give each other a holy kiss. But at the same time, there's something here that is extremely important, and I'm going to show it to you in just a second, because this holy kiss is mentioned not just here. If you know anything about the Bible letters, almost in each of them, Paul, and not just Paul, said greet each other with a holy kiss. And to help you with that, well... Let's not answer that just yet. Let me just show you from the scriptures. Go with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Look at verse 26. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. Go to 1 Corinthians 16. 1 Corinthians 16 verse 20. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 20, all the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a what? With a holy kiss. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 2 Corinthians 13, look at verse 12. Greet one another with a holy kiss. By the way, it's not just Paul. Go to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, look at verse 14. Paul says, greet one another with the kiss. Sorry, not Paul. Peter says, greet one another with the kiss of love. To help you out with this, you know how nowadays we say, hug so-and-so for me? Give so-and-so a hug. As I travel, sometimes my wife doesn't travel with me. And if I go to places where they know Becky, they'll say, hey, give Becky a hug for me. And by the way, I always tell them, I got no problem with that. But I'm going to also make sure that they understand that the hug from you is not going to be exactly like the hug from me. We need contact. We need it. We need a special contact, not just, hey, brother, hey, sister. I know people are nowadays afraid of COVID and germs and all this other stuff. And again, I want you to prayerfully let God show you. And I don't want you going and invading someone else's personal space if they're not comfortable because you're not doing it in love. You're doing it for yourself and you don't care about your brother. That's not what I'm talking about. But let me also tell you that in this day and age in which, again, people are isolating, contact is being lost and it's important. Have you ever noticed how Jesus touched people? Even lepers. He wasn't worried. By the way, that was one of the things that actually helped Christianity during the Black Plague. Was that the Christians were not afraid to touch people during that time. The, the Christians were able to talk and were willing to touch lepers when nobody would touch them. And I want you to understand that in this day and age, as people come to our congregations and our meetings, if they see them walk up and just give each other a hug or whatever... They're going to realize these people are comfortable with not only that, they love each other. When I went through chemo and radiation and I, my immune system was down and I couldn't hug, it was so hard. And if you remember, those of you that were hanging out at that time with me, we used to go elbows, elbows, because I wanted contact. Let's touch elbows, because I wanted to say hi, and I don't just want to wave at you. I want to touch you, and I need you to touch me, and we need that. And so I'm just going to encourage you, don't avoid giving each other a hug a handshake, whatever. Greet each other more than just hi. And I'm going to also take it to an interesting level. And some of you might be in churches that have this problem. And it's something I deal with as I travel around. I speak in a lot of churches that are struggling. 
And as I go to speak to these churches that are struggling, they have big sanctuaries that used to be full and now there's less people there. But you know what's one of the sad things is? They still all sit in the same place they used to always sit when it was full. I preached 15 years ago in a church that sanctuary sat 3,000. It had a balcony. It was an amazing sanctuary. And there were only 100 people left in this church. And they all still sat in the same place they always sat during all those years, even up in the balcony, one here, a couple over there. It was just pretty crazy. So what I do now is when I go to churches to help them get healed and I deal with churches that are like that, I actually tell them ahead of time, you're not going to like me. But I don't care. I'm only going to be here for a week and then I'm gone. But I'm going to make you do stuff you don't want to do this week. Everybody sit in the middle. If you guys all sat everywhere, I would make you sit closer together. You do pretty good, so I don't make you do it. But if you did, I would say that those sections are off. You all need to get together. And what the reason is, is there's, there's something about being connected and close to each other. And you know what's happened in a lot of those churches? After the week is over, they stayed. Because after the week of meetings, they realized this is kind of neat. Plus, let me ask you a question. If you're in one of those churches where everybody sits wherever they used to sit, if someone walks in, are they going to think you guys like each other? That's the poor purpose of the holy kiss. Folks, don't just get together. Make sure you do a little bit more that shows, hey, brother, hey, sister, I love you. I ain't afraid of germs. You're important to me. You need a touch. You might even want to look for people that you notice might not have that much contact. Maybe they're single. Maybe they lost a husband or a wife. Maybe just that extra little touch that they need. Again, I'm not saying we have to go kiss each other on the cheek or anything like that, but there's something special about a brother and a sister greeting that's more than just good to see you. All right? And let the Lord take it from there. And again, don't force on somebody what they're not comfortable with. That's not a blessing. In verses 17 through 20, Paul goes to some teaching. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Now, Paul gives words of caution and warning here. As much as the church should love each other, we should also be aware that within the church will arise those who would teach false doctrines. And we should always be checking every single teaching against the whole of Scripture. Now, I'm going to show you some examples of what I'm talking about from Paul's writings and other writings, that, not just Paul, that the church dealt with that continually, and we need to be watching about it even more. Like I told you, we live in a day and age because of social media that a lot of people can become teachers now. They have a platform. And there are doctrines that are taught by demons. By the way, let me just say this to you. Watch out for any teacher that comes and says, hey, everybody else is wrong. I've got it right. If it's true, it ain't new. If it's new, it ain't true. Adrian Rogers said that years ago, and I want that to stick in your head. 
If it's true, it ain't new. If it's new, it ain't true. But there's a lot of people out there that have figured it out. And they are quite convincing in their ability to show their point. Oh, they're leaving off most of the Bible. And you need to have people encourage you to find for yourself the truth. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let's take a look at some of the things that Paul warned the church about to watch out for. Tell me if we aren't seeing some of these things today. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, listen to verses 3 through 16. He says, uh, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and doesn't agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and depraved of, deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world. And, but if we have food and clothing, with those we should be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, listen closely. Paul said, watch out. There's going to be people that come in and teach that holy living is a mean to getting rich, means to getting rich. By the way, is that happening today? Oh, yeah. They're all out there. They love flashing their gold rings and their fancy cars and their multi-million dollar houses and they get TV channels and all this stuff. And there are preachers out there that are preaching from the Bible and showing that you can be rich if you... They leave off a lot of other verses. And yes, God is a generous God and God does bless, but he, if you know what the scripture says, He blesses us so that we can what? Get bigger barns? No, He blesses us so that we can bless others and bless more. And if you're faithful to keep passing it on, He'll keep giving it to you so you can keep passing it on. But the moment you start storing it up for yourself, it's not what it's about. And He said, watch out for the false teachers. They're going to come in and say that godliness is a mean to financial gain. The love of money, the desire to become rich is a, it's a root of all kinds of evil. Prosperity gospel. Go to 2 Timothy 3. Look at verses 1 through 17. Understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people." For among them are those who creep in households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they won't get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching." 
my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly li a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. He said, there's going to be people that come in and they're going to have an appearance of godliness. But you're not going to see any evidence of it. If you look at them closely, they're all talk and no evidence. They have an appearance of godliness, but they deny his power. And he said, but you avoid them and you stay faithful to the word of God. Now, I'm going to point out something that you're going to see as I continue in this train here real quick. Do you notice how Paul doesn't make it his ministry to go root out the false teachers? He just said, they're out and we out there. Avoid them. You're going to see later on, he gets to Galatians, he's talking about those who have crept into the church in Galatia and were teaching people that they had to be circumcised or they could use their freedom to sin. And he says, man, God's going to deal with them. Don't make it your ministry to deal with them. Are there going to be doctrines taught by demons out there today? Are there not people out there already that are online teaching things that they should not be teaching? Should we make it our ministry to go tell everybody, watch out, don't listen to that guy and don't listen and don't read this person. Yes, you can read them. No, you don't do that. Whose job is it to show each of us who to follow? It's the Holy Spirit. Don't make it your ministry to decide who's in and who's out. There's going to be weeds growing among the wheat, folks. And God's going to separate them at the end. You just follow Jesus. Because if you spend your time chasing the bad guys, you follow, stop following who? Satan. You know, years ago when I was young in the ministry, I was first married and I was an associate pastor in New Orleans. There was a man on staff. I was one of eight pastors on staff at this church. There was one man on staff there who all of a sudden got caught up in the demon exorcism ministry. And he made that his ministry. He was going to be going around and casting demons out of people. And he would have meetings and he would ask a group of us in the church to get together and fast and pray because I'm going to be spending tonight casting a demon out of this lady and I need this prayer cover. And we would get together in homes and we would pray and fast. And next thing you know, after we'd spend night, all night in prayer, Becky and I would go back to our apartment and I'd have her wait outside because, you know, there were demons that we were fighting now and there were going to be demons probably in our apartment. And I had to make sure everything was OK. And next thing you know, all we're looking for is demons. And guess where we took our, who we took our eyes off of? Jesus. Are they real? Yes. Are they out there? Yes. Actually, the Bible says, submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he flees. You don't got to go chasing him. You don't got to go storm the gates of hell. Folks, fix your eyes on Jesus. Go to Galatians chapter 1. By the way, that pastor that was having all these meetings with this lady to cast demons out of her, we found out later on that that wasn't what was going on. Uh, 
I'll leave the rest alone. For Galatians chapter 1, look at verses 6 through 9. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Isn't that interesting that the Mormons base their whole doctrine on a visit from an angel? Even though the Bible had said many, many, many years before, watch out for that. Let him be accursed. If we, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Go to Galatians chapter 3. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it's those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with the man of faith. Then he goes and says, All of you who rely on works of the law, you're under a curse. There were people that had come into the church in Galatians. And they were now teaching them, yeah, you're going to believe in Jesus, but you've got to be circumcised too or you're not really saved. And are there not people today that are saying, look, yes, you've got to believe in Jesus, but you've got to keep the law of Moses still. Are there not movements out there still that are doing that? And they tell you, you've got to keep the law of Moses. And there's a dietary law and there all the laws. And you, they're trying to have you follow Jesus, yet you have to get back under the law. Paul says to him, look, I'm saying goodbye, but I... I hope to come see you, but I got to tell you something ahead of time. There's going to be false teaching out there and you need to be alert to it. You need to be innocent to evil and wise to what's good. Go to Galatians 5. There not only were those who were teaching, you had to add the law to your faith. There were others that were teaching that you could do whatever you want. Look at verse 13. For you were called, Galatians 5 verse 13, you were called to freedom, brothers. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. We're not to use our freedom. We're not under law, but we're not to use our freedom for the flesh. Go to Jude, verses 3 and 4. It's interesting. Jude wanted to write a letter about this awesome salvation that we have. But he says in verse 3, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. We've talked about it before, but in Acts chapter 20, verses 28 to 32, when Paul was meeting with the Ephesian elders in Miletus, he said to him, look, after I leave, I know after I leave, savage wolves are going to come in from among the flock and they're going to try to lead people away to follow them. I've warned you night and day with tears. And listen to what he says. He doesn't say, go root them out. He says, now I commit you to God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among the saints. 
I want you to be alert to the fact that that's going to happen. Avoid such people. Avoid such people. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. This is very, very, very important that we see this. I've taught on this passage a lot, looking at the different types of men that God uses in the pastoral role. Some are apostles, some are prophets, and so on. Look at what it says in Ephesians 4, 11 and following. And he, God, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine and by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into who? Into him who is the head. That's Jesus and to Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is kind of what we've been talking about tonight. We need each other. We need to spend time together. We need to be using the gifts that God's given us, whether it's encouragement or mercy or service or helps or exhortation or giving, whatever it is. We need to be involved in people's lives and helping them grow in their walk with the Lord. And we, those of us, myself and others, who have been called to be apostles or prophets or evangelists or shepherds and teachers, we're to be equipping you to do the work of the ministry, not expecting you to say, hey, pastor, someone's sick. Would you be there? Hey, pastor, someone needs to be saved. Would you be there? Hey, pastor, I need you. No, the pastors are equipping the church for the work of the ministry. Listen, so then as you all grow up into him who is the head, don't follow me. I don't, I'm, just, I'm a follower of Paul. I'm a follower of P Peter. I'm a follower of, no, no. Listen, as you're growing up into him who is the head, then you'll no longer be infants tossed to and fro by every wind of teaching and every doctrine that comes out there that's false. My job is to help you grow in your knowledge of Jesus and his word so that you feed and get to know him better and better. If you become followers of Jim, I've done it wrong. And beware of anyone that says, follow my ministry. All right. Now, there's one more person that jumps out at us after this little teaching about doctrine and watch out for it. Look at verse 22. I almost didn't bring this person out, but I think, honestly, I'm the most excited about this person than all the others. Verse 22, I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Now, wait a minute. We have now got to the end of the book of Romans, and we've been saying Paul wrote it this whole time, and now we find out that Paul didn't write it, Tertius wrote it. No, Paul wrote it. But Tertius is the guy who took his dictation and wrote it down. If you notice, when Paul would write his letters, people would write them for him. He would dictate. And a couple of times we see him say, oh, I'm writing this greeting with my own hand. That's why the writing's bigger. Paul's eyesight wasn't real good. But Tertius is the one who's been the whole time writing all this stuff down. And in the midst of this, Tertius says, oh, by the way, hi. I'm so glad he did, because if Tertius hadn't have done that, we would have never, ever thought about Tertius. Let me say something to you. There's a lot of ministry in the church 
that nobody ever knows about. Did you ever think about the fact that for you to come in here and to sit, someone had to arrange the chairs and the tables, someone had to pay the light bill, someone vacuumed. Whenever I travel around and speak, I do this every time, I go straight to the people in the sound booth and I say to them, I just want you to know, I can't do what I do if it wasn't for you. And I also know that most nobody will ever know that you're there unless you mess up. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever noticed that the people that do the video and the sound, when they do their job well, nobody even thinks about them. Unless something goes, ah, and everybody looks back. Or like I did one Sunday when I was pastor in Chicago, I told the person that was in charge of the slides of the, the songs, I said, look, I'll do it for you tonight. I think I want to sit back here and hit the space bar. All I had to do was hit the space bar. When it was time for the next verse, I'd hit the space bar. But me, I started singing. And I knew the next verse, so I didn't need the space bar. And I just lost track of time. I was just singing to the Lord. And all of a sudden, everybody in the sanctuary is looking back. I'm like, oh, man, I'm three pages off. <laughs> There's a lot of ministry that no one ever knows about. But it's necessary. Do you realize I would not be speaking in Scottsdale, Arizona this weekend if it wasn't for a young lady named Anna Johnson, my daughter, who took the 15, 2015 teaching, 30-something hours of teaching on Revelation in chronological order, and for two years sat down and put it into a book form, and she and I worked for two years on the editing of it, but she used her gifting, because she can write, she's gifted, to put it in book form. And I'm preaching in Scottsdale, Arizona because of my daughter. And nobody's even going to know who she is. Tertius was extremely important. And one day, the Lord who doesn't miss, who does everything, he's going to reward them and he's going to reward you. Don't worry with anybody notices. Don't seek to have the most noticeable ministry. But serve the Lord where you're gifted. Because... If a part's missing in the body, the body doesn't work like it's supposed to. Y'all ever lost a fingernail? You might as well say goodbye to that hand. Can't even tie your shoe. I had a friend of mine who actually cut off his big toes with a lawnmower, both of them. He can't, couldn't walk. He was in his 20s. You lose both your big toes, you can't walk. You have to learn to walk all over again because the big toes are that important. We need all parts of the body. As Paul wrapped up, he talked again about this mystery. We're not going to talk a lot much about it tonight because we've already looked at the mystery as the aspect of the gospel that shows that Gentiles are co-heirs and equal with the Jews in the promises and the blessings of Christ, the Messiah. Paul talked about that. If you want to go back and look at that again, that it's in Romans 1, verses 1 through 7. In verses 16 and 17, that's Romans 1, 6 and 7, uh, 1 through 7 and 16 and 17, and also Ephesians 3, verses 1 through 6. It wasn't a mystery that Gentiles could be saved. That had been in the Old Testament all along. But the mystery that had been revealed and hadn't been revealed prior was that the Gentiles not only could be saved, but they were co-heirs, equal in all the promises for the Jews. Everything that God had promised the Jews was available to the Gentiles had been all along. The salvations for all nations by faith. Now, as Paul concludes this letter, though, he does what he often did. And it points back to what we just looked at earlier in verses 17 through 20. 
he points his hearers back to God and his word. Look what he says there in verse 25. Now, to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but now has been disclosed through what? The prophetic writings. To the only wise God, verse 27. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. We've already mentioned Acts 20, 32, when he told the leaders, he said, now I commit you to God and the word of his grace. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24, may your whole body, soul, and spirit be kept blameless till the coming of the Lord. The one who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Jude does the same thing in Jude 24 and 25 at the end of his letter. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you without spot or blemish and great joy before himself, to him be glory. Peter does the same thing. And so we're going to close tonight by looking at 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, look at verses 14 through 18. Second Peter 3, starting in verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you're waiting for these, this is the new heaven and the new earth, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks to them, speaks in them of these matters. Now there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and the unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. Did you catch that? Peter even said the writing of Paul was scripture. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. We won't meet for a couple of weeks, and I can't wait to see you again. But, and I'm not trying to be morbid or nothing. There's a chance something could happen to me or you between now and then. Let me say this to you. I really do love you all. I say that every week as we close. I love you, and I mean it. I look forward to these times, and I can't wait until we get back together again. But if for some reason that's not God's plan, I commit you to God and his word, and you'll be fine. You'll be fine. I love you. We'll hopefully see you in two weeks.